Welcome back to Everyday Business Solutions. My name is Haley Morris. I'm your podcast coordinator and host. And today I have with me Ken Rusk, and he's going to tell us a bit more about what he does and his background, because today we're going to dive into the entrepreneurial employee and the blue collar workers and what they're really doing for our business environment. So Ken, if you don't mind introducing yourself. Yeah, I'm, I'm Ken Rusk, and I'm uh, the owner of Rusk Industries here in Toledo, Ohio. And uh, that is a company that has several different construction uh, concerns within it. And um, we, as you said, we do a, a lot of hiring and a lot of recruiting. Uh, we, uh, we seek out, um, uh, you know, a, a lot of uh, sometimes even first-time job seekers or second and third-time job seekers, maybe more on the younger side. And um, we, we started our company back in 1986, and we've been here ever since. And uh, one of the companies you might have heard of is Everdry Waterproofing. That's one of the things that we do. And um, we, uh, th that company has grown from six people to 200 now. And, and uh, it's been quite the journey. So it's all about uh, trying to find the right people and, uh, and make things happen for them. So you're really familiar with the business climate, especially here in the Toledo area, which is very close to home. Um, and with that being said, you've probably worked with like every type of person at this point, I'm sure. And one thing that us being a smaller business, I think we're just over hundred employees now as well, that we used to stress a lot. And I think we still do. I'm not in the recruitment side, unfortunately anymore, but was employees who have an entrepreneurial mindset and bringing in these go-getters to our company to help us grow and continue to scale. Um, and so my question for you is, what is the entrepreneurial employee? Like, what is that mindset before we get too far into this question, this discussion? Well, um, it, that's a great question. And, and it's easy to, it's easy to kind of pick them out amongst a group of, of potential uh, employees that, that are, are, or applicants that come to your office. See, it seemed like years ago when you came to an interview, the interview was kind of imbalanced where it was, you know, boss person had the ability to control the conversation with applicant, and um, you really needed the job. So you came in there and maybe you were even a smidge timid and you could only get as aggressive as you thought he would, he or she would want you to get. Um, but those kind of tables have turned a little bit. You know, it, we live in a world now where there's so much demand for the workers that, uh, that we're looking for. Um, and that's just a supply and demand issue, which we can talk about in a little bit here. But what, what, what happens is you almost have this, this, this new position now where somebody can come in and almost look at you and say, um, you know, Mr. Job person, uh, what's in it for me to work here? And, and that's, that's something that I, I, you know, some people back in the day would probably kind of like, you know, shrug at that, like, well, you know, who are you to, to ask me that question? But I actually embrace that because you have to remember, I mean, just as an example, between my office and the highway, which is only a couple of miles, there's probably 25 help wanted signs on the road there. So I know people have choices. I know they can job shop me all day long and that's okay. So if somebody comes in and says, well, hey, what's in it for me to work here, Ken? I'm going to embrace that question and I'm going to really show them how we are different and unique, you know, within our culture, within our organization from other job opportunities. And, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, I would say too, we've had low unemployment, you know, 
excluding recent times even, low unemployment for a while. And that's, for me, that's all I've known is employees don't need you specifically. It's like you said, they have options and obviously people are getting jobs. So it's a lot more pressure on the employer now to provide value even from the early application stage as far as what you have to pick to put in there to lure in a candidate and how transparent you need to be upfront as far as salary requirements, opportunities for growth, all of those things for any level of employee have to be alluring. And um, I would say even during current times, it's perhaps more so, and of course I'm not job searching, so I can't speak for those who are, but a huge thing right now is job security. Like how well is the company doing? How secure is the job? What are the benefits gonna be that support? Um, how are they handling leave of absences right now with all of the current um, guidelines that are set out? Things like that are important and an employer has to prove those on top of the other things right now. So it's definitely true. Like you have to be able to provide value and now you want those applicants to come in and almost like seek to know it. Like they have to come in ready to ask those questions and if they don't, it's almost a red flag for the applicant. Like they're not really interested in the job. Yeah, I think what's really important as an employer these days, as you said, you have to differentiate yourself from these other places. And one of the things that we work really hard on is the culture. We work very hard to get that culture to be really attractive the moment somebody hits the door. And you know, you know, you can talk about you know a, a firm handshake and a good smile and all the things that are traditional things that 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 you look for. But one of the things we we talk about is what does your foyer look like? What does what does the people who are um, talking about onboarding you? What are they like? How friendly are they? What's the atmosphere like? Is is there color? Is there sounds? Is there music? Is is there a, a good feel? Um, even even you know people don't forget that they're judging you the minute they hit that door and if people are walking around and they have a smile on their face and there's some positive energy one of the things we get a lot of is man i really wanted to come work here because as soon as i hit the door it was like this huge energetic field that just hit me and that's something that isn't that isn't by happenstance i mean that's actually cultivated you know you, you talk about things like recognition and anniversaries and motivation and discipline and um, a goal-oriented culture and an accountability towards hitting those goals. But all of those things tie into the main focus, which is I can't get what I want, nor can my company get what it wants or needs until all of you get what you need first. And if you can make that, that case in a very believable way where the people own it that come to work in your organization, they're going to know that you are intrinsically um, focused on what makes their world better. I, I don't mean just from a business standpoint. I mean, from a personal goal standpoint, we spend a lot of time getting involved in the lives of those who, who want to help, who, I mean, who, who are willing to put themselves out there. But we spend a lot of time in getting involved in their personal lives, their personal goals from a one month, six month, three year, five, 10 year kind of scenario, even long-term investing. So I think it's really, really important that um, once you have this person in your organization, you show them that, yeah, you need to be here and here's why. It's kind of interesting talking about that just because we talk about like what the efforts to retain people and now how important those are. 
and you're right like the color and just that first impression when you walk through almost like that atmosphere is yeah. so vital and important for retention but it seems to me like retention has gone down or at least longevity of employment has gone down on average I've noticed a lot more people amongst my age group maybe only working a couple years at a place like two to five years before seeking new employment or looking for bigger things so what do you have to say to that for this almost working with employees that maybe are seeking like their long-term is not, it's no longer 10 years to 15, it's two to five. Well, I, I look at it this way. The reason that people change jobs is, is typically because they don't feel like they can make the life that they want for themselves happen within your organization. So we always try to answer that question, okay? Can you get the life that you want the way you've designed it for yourself specific and custom to you, can you create that life with and through our organization? And do you feel like as you're working there, you are approaching those goals? You know, in, in the book, Blue Collar Cash that I wrote, we talk about comfort, peace, and freedom and how that's everybody's individual nirvana. You know, we're not all going to change or, or we're not all going to chase, you know, mega yachts and big houses and 15 cars we all have our version of what our comfort, peace and freedom triangle looks like. And, and that really is the end game for most people. You don't really live to work, you work to live. Well, what does that look like? Can I draw that on a piece of paper with you know, some crayons and, and, and show you what my world is supposed to be for me? So if somebody comes into your company and they, they have that picture in mind, and that's a really important point because we actually, ask people to draw that out for us. I mean, physically, so we can see what they're after. And then we chop those goals into a lot of little pieces and we, we have them chase those things, one goal, two, two, three goals at a time and see real progress. If somebody believes that their life is progressing again with and through your organization, they're gonna stay there. I mean, I've been here 35 years now and just the other day, I gave out a 30-year award, a 25-year award, a 20-year award. We have a lot of longevity, and it's simply because I allow them to say, what's my life going to look like? Can I build it here? Can I control my own input? Can I control my own output and therefore my income and then make my life happen the way I want it, regardless of what you tell me to do, Ken? So that's kind of the goal here to get people to be self-driven, goal-oriented people. So do you think maybe the reason we're seeing some lower retention is because employers, maybe they're asking about these goals, but they're not really delving into those personal goals and how to align it with the, the work climate anymore? The real important thing when you're talking about goals is the actual mechanics of it. You know, a goal is nothing more than a wish or a dream or a hope if it's not written down somewhere, if it's not clearly defined dissected into small pieces that you can get one at a time. And then your progression is shown and experienced and being held accountable and having other people share that with you and wish you on. So um, one of the things that we do is we have this giant black glass board. It's similar to one of those boards you'd see out in front of a, of a, of a restaurant with the drink of the day written on it in color. And we have these people, they'll, they'll come up with a goal let's say, you know, it's a $2,500 goal that they have. Okay. Well, how long do you want to take to accomplish this goal based on what I can afford? Okay. 
$48 a week gets that done in a year, uh, $24 a week gets that done in two years, whatever you do. And we chop those goals up, in, up into pieces. We have them document that path and that plan on the board. And they have a beginning date and an end date. And then everybody else in the organization can walk by that board and see what they're up to. And when they see them in the hallway, they can pat them on the back and say, wow, looks like you're halfway there, well done. And then as soon as they finish one of those, everybody celebrates it and they go write another one. So my next question after, so as an employer, say they've gotten this figured out with the goals, they know that they need to go in now and actually start to break down, help employees line up goals, even looking at those as early as the application stage to make sure the alignment is close enough at the beginning that as they develop, they can actually do it through the company, right? Yeah, I think, you know, this is a this is almost an exercise that every employer should go through. And that is, does what you say to them in the interview match their experience one week, three weeks, a month after they've been hired into your company? Because so many times it's like, you know, you tell them all the awesome things that happened in your company and you're the only one that kind of owns that. And the people that they're working with are like, yeah, whatever. And it's just not quite the same. So if the people that are involved in their first 30, 60, 90 days aren't perfectly in line with you and in lockstep, you're going to have some issues where somebody said, Ken, I know you said this, but I, I, I experienced that. And that's why very quickly we try to get them involved in, you know, some of the long-term planning, some of the things like 401k planning and investing and and, um, and again, visualizing their goals and helping them to understand that this is a place where you can make things happen for yourself. So I agree with you 100%. If, if, that, if that beginning phase doesn't match the first, you know, what they call the acclimation period, okay, where somebody's kind of like test driving your job, um, you're going to have an issue with that. So you got to make sure you spend some time with the people that are that are, you know, taking them further into the company to make sure that they have the same thing going. Yeah, I know one thing that I had a problem with when I was recruiting is I first recruited for a call center for a part-time position. It was scripted and it was very, very dry. And we, of course, had to still recruit people in. And we did people from the ages of 16 all the way through well and retired and just needed a little something to do with the rest of sure. their time, right? Because they weren't used to not working. Um and so I heard a large variety of people and some people it was just a little extra cash flow while they worked other jobs. And they really didn't want us to deter people from how monotonous it could be. They wanted us to mention it, but kind of gloss over it. And I always had a problem with that because that like if I were to come in and somebody would be like, oh yeah, it can get boring sometimes. Well, Anything I do can get boring sometimes because I'm a very high energy person and my attention span is like 10 seconds long. (laughs) My brothers and sisters are all diagnosed like ADD, ADHD. I'm the only one diagnosed. And I don't think that means I'm the only one not there. I just, I think they skipped person Um, (laughs) because I very much have a short attention span, easily distracted, always thinking of two or three things. And for me, if somebody did that in a job and I said, oh yeah, it checks out, sounds good. I would be miserable and I'd be out of there in a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months, just depending on how quickly I found a different job. So I was always very upfront and said, it gets dry and monotonous. Here's exactly what you do. And here's some of the things people do to combat it. Just being upfront and honest. 
And I used to get a little criticism at the beginning. And then they saw that the people I was offering and who were accepting were staying longer because it was the retired teacher who actually really loved the scripted work. And she had fun seeing if she could inflect enough you know, joy in her tone to change the course of that call, even though she couldn't deviate from script at all. And then she brightened up our entire row because she was just a very bubbly personality. And I would kind of vet people out. I would say up front, like, this is a dry job. If you are used to moving around frequently, that's not an option here. And, you know, the, the other thing too, the caveat, if you're not in, you know, a call center job that gets a little boring after a while, and you're in a more engaging job and they're in, they're asking for the entrepreneurial employee, right? We want sure. an entrepreneurial mindset. That's a popular thing to ask for. That's something that we tend to look for and people and a lot of businesses, especially those in a growth phase will look for. They'll say we have a lot of opportunities for growth, but then you get into the company and you sit in the same position for four or five years, even though you're working hard, you're pulling ahead of your goals and you start to wonder where that growth opportunity is. Um, it comes back to what you said about like not being transparent or making sure that the follow through is there with the promises that you make at the application and hiring stages. So. Yeah, I, I think there's, there's an important, there's an important point there, you know, Obviously, as any business owner would be, if, if you see that you have certain employees that are really shining, I mean, that's kind of like the vortex that brings them up through your company to help your company grow and to help your company become, you know, bigger than you can make it on your own. I, I just think for me, um, you know, we, we have a lot of people that are in the ditch digging business here. I mean, I started ditch digging for this company when I was 15 and I'm still here. And I think the reason that is, is because I knew that I could control my input, my output, and therefore my income. And, you know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of discussion um, in, in our company today about, okay, yeah, you're going to be out there and, you know, you're going to be doing this type of a job and um, this is the income you're going to make. Um, but let's talk about what you do with that income because, you know, this is rather controversial sometimes, but it's sometimes it's not so important what you do for a living is what you do with what you do for a living. And people have a hard time grasping that until they really sit down and think about it. You know, the, the ditch digging business probably wasn't the first of my 99 things on my list that I wanted to do for a living. But once I realized that I could surround myself with amazing people, I could share in the joys of their development and their growth, um, I could control my own income and therefore control what, what my life looked like, that all changed. So, you know, one of the things that we do here is, you know, we, we call this the 20 minute, 20 minute millionaire. I mean, I can show you how in 20 minutes you can be in a, in a 401k program and without spending a lot of money, you can be on track to becoming a millionaire when you're, when you retire. And, and for a 21 year old to come in here and grab a shovel and go, thanks, man, I don't have to worry about my retirement. I mean, that's a pretty amazing, you know, thing off of their shoulders, because a lot of people think about their retirement when they're 26, 28, 30, 35, 40, and it's almost too late by then to build a lot of wealth that way. So we talk about the time value of money. We talk about young money. Um, we talk about the opportunities that people have and the control they have over their own life. And I think that's the biggest thing 
is you can be honest with somebody about what the job's going to what the job is going to entail as long as you're like you did as long as you're talking about the benefits to them working that hard and what they are you're going to find long-term employees that way because they're they're thinking about you're teaching them to think in a way that a lot of times their school their friends their relatives and their parents don't teach them how to think that way so you might be the first one that talks about something that's going to happen 10, 15 years from now. And that's really valuable information for them. The school thing makes me laugh. And even, you know, just my dad is now helping me. I'm very fortunate. I've got my dad, one of my friends here is the CFO. So I've got a lot of people who financially are giving me a lot of useful insight. Um, and I'm 24 now. And I feel like that's extremely valuable because a lot of my friends are figuring it out entirely for themselves now. My friend, she's doing sure. an amazing job, but it's it's just her figuring it out. It's She doesn't have anybody else's influence to guide her along the way. She doesn't have anybody to talk through. She's a teacher, so how their retirement works, how their savings, how to deal with the school loans. And stuff well, th like this, this is an interesting point. Um, you know, if, if, if somebody comes into your organization and I always, I always say this, if somebody offers you, let's say $40,000 a year to work at their company, the first thing I want you to say is, thank you for paying me $37,000. Because I want you to forget about that first 3,000 as though it never happened, you never had it, it's never in your pocket, it was never on your paycheck, you're being paid $37,000. So why do I say that? Because you can't miss what you never had, you can't stop spending what you never spent, Okay, you can't um, get used to that extra money and then cut it back when you're having to save for your retirement because it's never been there. So what, what, what most people don't realize, and this is simple young money math, which is what I love. You take that first $60 a week that you make every week, you put that into a 401k program, the company matches it, which most companies do, ours does. You're gonna make at least 10% on your money if with the with the improvement in the in the, the prices of the shares that you own and also with the match that you get from the company. Well, you can literally stop saving money. If, let's say you start at 21 years of age, you can stop saving money at 31 years of age. That's 10 years. And never put another nickel in there and you're going to have over a million dollars when you retire. Now, I would say you might as well just keep saving it if you're used to saving it already. <laughs> but literally, you could stop and have that kind of money in there. And that's never taught in high school. That's no. never taught. And I mean, nobody, it's like the best kept secret in the world. And that's why we push it so much here, because I wish I had been told that when I was 21. I, I, I didn't start till I was 30. The good news is I started when I was 30. But so many people, they wait, oh, my God, I'm 45. I better start thinking about my retirement you've blown so much opportunity by that period of time. So I agree with you. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a great thing to get started and started early. Yeah, I think the, one of the most useful things, and this is probably back in early middle school or late elementary school, we had a math teacher who sat down with us. We picked a job and the, we looked at the average salary for that job in our area or the area that we desired to live. Um, for pretty much everybody, it was local. But then you pick the lower end of that average just to be it safe. And then you looked at um, you looked at the taxes on that at the time. Mm -hmm. 
um, what kind of car you wanted, what kind of house you wanted. We looked at what the market was going for and all this other stuff. And we just did it. I mean, even then it was probably really basic and stuff, but she would help us. Like we picked something, she'd help us figure out what that would cost. Um, and I think we looked at it on a monthly basis. Yeah. Um, we broke down the cost and she was, she was like, okay, here's your paycheck. And then here's what comes yeah. out. And we calculated that and she's like, how much do you have left? And, you know, as kids, we were all like, I'm gonna have this nice little Ferrari, yeah. um, <laughs> but I'm an artist. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then she would say, okay, well, let, let's go back and look at it. Cause almost everybody was negative at this point, except for that one smart kid over in there in the corner who listened to their parents and their parents yeah. told them this stuff. But then she would go back and like, okay, what do you think you, you wasted some money on? Maybe the Ferrari. <laughs> Maybe the Ferrari. Um, maybe the Ferrari. Um, I picked the most blue one and everything. I remember that. But um, she'd go back and that was the only time we ever did anything like that. Yeah. I never. And I probably fifth or sixth grade never did anything like that ever again. And we did it probably, I think it took us about a week because she'd send you home to look up stuff. And if you wanted a particular house or you wanted a particular car, you had to bring in this, the page for it, like the printout of where you were going to get that and everything. Right. Um, and you know, and the other, the other thing is it's the opposite side of that is they don't tell you how to manage money yet. Your mailbox fills up with credit card applications when you're 18 years old. Mm -hmm. So that's a scary thing. And, you know, there's also the, re the responsible use of money, which we teach about in the book. Um, we talk about building credit in the book, which is a, an amazing, um, a simple way to do it. Long-term investing as a young person, um, which most people don't think about. And then we talk about the ability to, to set goals in a five-step way that will make your goals absolutely bulletproof, okay? If, if you're going to commit to a goal and you go through these five steps, you can't help but hit it. So, you know, again, it's, it's that mentorship type of thing that, that these younger people, they don't even know they're missing it because... You know, it, it's not like, well, this person got mentored and he didn't. It's like nobody's getting mentored as, as to how to how to learn these things. So that that's really one of the reasons that we wrote the book was to say, hey, first off, time out. You know, it, it's not all about college. It, it, it's not all about go to college or fail. OK, it could be a blue collar job. It could be a trade, a skill, an apprenticeship. It could be working right out of school, getting experience avoiding some of the college debt, at least, at least you need to begin to think better before you make those choices. Like I want, I want you to have some real life skill thinking before you decide what path you're going to take, because they all can end up in the same place for you. So don't think you're only going to have one path to success. There's multiple ways to get there. As long as you have those goals firmly in your head to begin with. Mm -hmm. Well, too, it's, it's interesting to think about if you start to figure out and set goals and start to consider like the impact of your spending before you go to college and commit to, I mean, I think at UT, you're looking at at least like 40 to $50,000 a day if you don't have any grants or anything like that, sure. you know, and if you go to a, a bigger, more expensive school, like a nice little price tag on it, I mean, there's doctors who still can't pay back their debt and they're making a nice paycheck. Sure. So, and this, the craziest thing is maybe they still wanted to go to college or maybe they didn't, but how do they face that decision in the first place? 
could be so crazy different if they just had some of these skills that should be basic, I think. Well, look at it this way. You know, because of the supply and demand and, and, the, and what I call the, it's, it's actually a crisis of the blue collar workforce as far as, you know, there's so little supply and so much demand for them right now. You know, obviously, if you know anything about supply and demand, where supply is low and demand is high, that's where the prices go. They start to rise or that's where the wages start to rise. So now we're in a position where you've got finished carpenters making as much as lawyers, okay? The only difference is if I went to school for four or five or six years, I might amass a $200,000, $240,000 debt there. Now, if I'm working right out of college, or I'm sorry, right out of high school, and I go to one of these trades, I could actually be earning forty dollars or $50,000 a year. So you might have in a four-year period a $400,000 swing between the two towards the positive side in your asset base if you chose to go that route. And here's the other thing. You know, when I was in high school, a teacher said, raise your hand if you're going to college. Only about half of us did because that was what was balanced, okay? The American economy requires 165 million jobs. About half of those are something that you do with your hands. So if everybody went to college, who would build bridges? Who would, you know, do the things we need to do, like carpentry, plumbing, electricians, you know, hairdressers, anestheticians, uh, bakery owners, and, and flower shop owners, and all of those things. So who would do those things if everybody went to school? So when you have that imbalance there, you you it, you at least need to show them the potential, and say look at all your options before you make this decision. And that's what the book tries to do. Yeah, man, I think that's so helpful because it's, like I said, I think it should be like a basic skill set that we gain earlier in life than what we do. I mean, you know, when you're considering all this stuff, um, there was a huge push for my brother to go to college too. Um, and he, he started last fall and he stopped in December. <laughs> He's like, it didn't fit him. Um, it happens. You know, he could get good grades. He was kind of like me. Um, like I could get good grades, but sometimes I just didn't try. He didn't care. He didn't try, but he could, he could get pretty decent grades. And he's, he hated the college, especially with virtual world that it was completely sure. online for him. He had no engagement and he's not like the most extroverted person. In fact, He's slightly autistic, so he's very introverted, too much overwhelms him, but he likes good one-on-one -on -one interaction. And he does like to see that professor or whoever in person if he's going to have that type of setting. He dropped out. He just got his first job that's not fast food or something like that, and he's making more than I am. So right off the bat, right. he's, he's doing outside sales um, for a long company, and he's rocking it. Made two sales in his first day, and that was his week one goal. So Good like, yeah, and he's very fortunate because his mom, when he was ready to drive, she helped him get his license and she's like, the car is yours. You pay for it. Um, you want this, like you have to pay for the insurance. You have to pay for yeah. this. And yeah. she was started giving him that responsibility. So he started learning. And then if he would want to do something else, she'd be like, okay, did you think about this, this, and this? Cause that's you, that's on you. Um, so when he dropped out of college, she's like, okay, you've got a month to get a, a big boy job and he did so but it's you know even then you know now the conversation comes when does he start saving for retirement because that's he's 
19. I have to think of this. He's grown too fast. Um, I remember him being five. So I'm still a little yeah. shocked. You know, um, I, know. I have a 23 year old daughter and she was like eight years old yesterday. So, <laughs> right. Right. Um, it doesn't help that, you know, he got adopted down Georgia and I got adopted up here. So I literally like he was five and short and now he's like six foot tall and I'm <laughs> the shortest in the family <laughs> I'm the oldest and the shortest, I guess. Um, but yeah. And this is like one of the things like I'm trying to all these things that I've just picked up probably in the last year start to show him from my side because he's he's hitting real life and well and and, and that's that's an important point because you know I think I think if you look it up um there's probably a half a dozen different ways that people learn learn new things one of them is just being tactile you know like you know, grab it, give it to me, let me take it apart, let me put it back together. Um, it, it's, it's crazy how some people just have that, that knack to do that. And, and I, I think, I, I think the, the, you know, years ago, I mean, I, I'm going to say this is going to make me sound a little old, but back in the late 70s in high school and 80s, they had shop class where you could go in and you could accidentally discover carpentry, plumbing, you know, pipe fitting, electricians, uh, home economics, mechanics for cars, whatever, um, woodworking, whatever. They took those classes out in the 80s and replaced all those classrooms with computers. Well, we all needed to learn computers. I get that. That's fine. But why did it have to be a binary choice, meaning one or the other? Why couldn't they have coexisted? Because now you have millions of kids who would have discovered these things like your brother, and he might not have been able to discover that because he was funneled through the prep school program where all these high schools are now calling themselves college prep schools. And that's, that's a shame because, you know, we're, we're leaving out a whole sector of people who might be happier not being in a cubicle and being outside, you know, being a stonemason or, you know, building a house or whatever it might be. And that's something that we have to be very careful of because as that pendulum swings so far to one way, you know, for every five electricians that are retiring today, only one new one comes online. So you can tell real quickly what's going to happen to the prices of those people, to the availability of those people. You're going to be waiting months for an electrician and you're going to pay like, like a doctor to have this guy come or gal come over. So I just want to make sure that everyone is aware that, you know, you know, there's two sides to this story here. And I think you need to have all sides in front of you before you make that lifelong decision. I am mm -hmm. an interesting person that I like academics. I like learning and stuff like that. And I love the type of work I do now, but I'm also extremely hands-on. Like when I was younger, I was, the, I could look at something and figure out how it worked. Mm -hmm. And I think my school had something along the lines of that. And then we also had like a, um, I can't remember what it's called, but for those who wanted to go into like hair and stuff, they could get certified cosmetology licenses on their way out the door from high school. Okay. Um, it was a two-year program, which was pretty cool. And we had a salon right there in the school and all of these other things that our school did offer. But I remember you weren't really encouraged to take home in high school. Like they yeah. kind of siphoned off like the people. And then I noticed like I took a lot of honors and AP classes. I had to have a class that challenged me or I wouldn't do well in it because I wouldn't sure. pay attention. Um, and all of the kids in my classes were going to college and doing APs and st stuff like that, which I liked AP classes because again, they were harder. 
So it never seemed like an option to go do these more technical base classes and that type of thing. Even though I love building and creating, we do stuff at home all the time. And I'm like, I could look this up. Well, I could just there, do it. There you go. Um, and then I did do a home ec class back in middle school, which was like my favorite thing ever. I watched, we just sew a pair of shorts. I came in two days late, watched how she taught somebody, did it and got like the highest grade in the class and finished early because I just was like, oh, I can see it and I can do it. Um, and, and we'll see that that that's the thing I, you know i took ap calculus in high school okay and i turned out to be a ditch digger <laughs> so the the difference though is i i like your brother i went i tried to go to school and i was like you know what I, i'm missing out on an opportunity to start my life here and i liked working with my hands i like to be outside building things creating things you know fixing improving things whatever it was so we just have to make sure that we that we offer that opportunity to people mm -hmm. and 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 let them experience it because again you're going to have this issue where so many people are going to be sitting in these now i always call it you're in the 15th floor you're in a cubicle and you're thinking man i can't wait to go home this weekend and work on that that table that i want to build well how do you know that the table that you want to build isn't an internet side gig just waiting for you to turn into a full-time gig. And all of a sudden now you build furniture for all your friends and neighbors and, and you love it, okay? Um, so we just have to be really careful that, that we don't place a stigma on people mm -hmm. who don't go to college because, I mean, I, I was at a party, this is a few years ago, and you know, all of the parents love to talk about their kids and what college they're going to, or my son's going to Ohio State, or my daughter's going to Michigan or whatever, okay? And, and that's all fine. One of the gals said, well, I think, uh, I think what's her, what's her name, son? I think, he, yeah, he, he's not really, I think he's just going to be a plumber. And I was sitting there thinking to myself, okay, that kid has uh, five vans and he has a half a dozen employees and he's just killing it right now being a plumber. So you just got to be careful, even with what the parents do with this mm -hmm. stigmatization of that side of the world. It's so funny because I'll, a lot of times I'll, I'll, I'll say to some of, some of the parents and, you know, they're saying I have four kids and some of them are, maybe they're not really college related, whatever. I'll say, well, does $52 an hour sound okay for your, for your son or daughter? And they're like, what? And, and we talk about, yeah, that's what you're getting for millwrights and carpenters and, and, and some of these people, God forbid they have helpers and then they, they double that. Um, and all of a sudden they're like, whoa, why didn't anybody tell me this? I've been shoving all my kids into college and maybe I shouldn't have. So mm -hmm. that's something we really got to watch as well. Yeah. Like I said, my brother is making more than me right now. And he just started his base is more than my, my entire salary and he gets commissioned. So it's, it's one thing like I always, especially now that I've gone through college and I'm like, if I knew I was going to end up in business, because I started pre-med and I think it makes sense for pre-med. If I was going to stay, stick it out through biology, because, oh my gosh, those terms yeah. are very like, if it doesn't relate, it's hard for me to retain. Oh, and for sure. They throw you, that way. Mm -hmm, they throw you the big words before they actually get to the relevant stuff in biology. At least that's my feel. I love biolab. It made sense. It was like practical, applicable. Um, I did really good with chemistry. If I had just toughed it out, retook the class, switched to biochem pre-meds, took chemistry, I would have been smooth. I would have been in med school and probably enjoying myself. I switched to business because I hated biology um, yeah. and I was a pre-med. So I failed biology and I thought that was the end of the world. 
Um, <laughs> my grades were a lot better back then, but I say if I had known I was going to finish with business, I probably wouldn't have gone. I just would have gone straight into business because it, it didn't seem like, like I said, I graduated with an HR degree under a year ago. I'm doing marketing. I have no formal training in marketing whatsoever. I'm just picking up as I go. And I did the same when I did recruitment for two years before I graduated. I picked it up on the job. By the time I got to my classes, I was like, well, yeah, I know this already. Or no, my staffing class was mostly a dated material. So I was sitting there like, yeah, why are you talking about newspapers right, right. now? When you're talking, <laughs> like he was like, he was talking about newspapers. And I was like, even for like jobs where people are still reading like physical media, your paper newspaper is not going to get to anybody. At least they're not going to be looking at the jobs because everybody's gone to Indeed now. And so they're sure. going to follow the, they're going to follow the wave. They're going to go to Indeed. Um, and so it was just kind of funny because we'd have to pull our classmates back and we're like, nope, in the real world, it doesn't work like that anymore. We've moved, yeah. we've moved on. Um, but, you know, I, I wouldn't have gone to college if I knew I was going to end up in business because I'd rather just jumped in and start doing it. Well, and, I, you know, again, I always say this because I am absolutely not an anti-college guy. If you're going to operate on my shoulder or if you're <laughs> going to build a tall building, design it architect, whatever, if you're going to teach people, if you're going to manage money, if you're going to do these types of things, I'm going to want you to know if you're inventing a medicine, I want you to know everything you should know about that before you start knifing yeah. into my, my, my shoulder. Okay. Um, however, having said that, we need to make college a lot more efficient because if, if 40% of the people go to college, not knowing why they're there, which is true. Mm -hmm. And then 25% of them, once they get there, change their mind halfway through, which is true. And then 31% of them graduate and never use their degree ever. That's a wholly inefficient system right there. Unless, again, you're into like, I want to learn beer pong and get really good at it. You know what I mean? So you, you just have to be careful going through that process because if we are overproducing you know, these bland business degree people, then that means we're underproducing people that know how to use a hammer <laughs> or some other tool. That's going to create this imbalance that we have. And that's not going to go away anytime soon. I mean, you know, kids used to go in the backyard with a hammer and nails and make a tree fort. Now they're building that same thing on their Minecraft game. Okay. That's not the same. Okay? <laughs> It is, not, trust me, it is not the same. So that's going to continue. And we're going to have this, this imbalance that if you're willing to stick it out and work with your hands, man, you're going to be able to take advantage of some serious opportunity. And um, again, I, I hope people would, would, would read the book and understand what I'm trying to say, because it's, uh, it's an important message right now. Mm -hmm. No, I, it, I would agree. It's, I wish I had actually like considered that an option because I wonder what I'd be doing like I think one of my curiosities right now is like I do want to build furniture I don't have any particular experience with it but I like putting things together I've sanded things and repurposed sure. them but I'm like I want to build something I'm determined when I get my own house I'm going to build my own dining room table and it's going to be huge monstrous lovely slabs wood that I'm going to make look pretty and yeah that is, I've sat on it. So my kid, my dining room might be empty for a little bit. Um, but like, I wish that was that option. Cause I like doing things with my hands. And in fact, I get bored a lot of times and I want to go do things with my hands. I want to do physical things because when I just setting in front of a computer all day, it does get a little monotonous, but 
it never seemed like an option because I drew and I'm creative. So I need to go do design or I need to go into this or I need to do business because I'm smart and I can do science and math. So I had that well, pressure. One of the things that's really important about, and, and, and this is another one of those unseen benefits to having a job in a blue collar field is what I call the, the stand back moment. And that is, let's assume that you do get that hunk of wood and you spin some legs out of it on a lathe, or you, you run the top of that piece of wood, which is gonna be the surface of the table through a planer, and then you sand it and you varnish it or whatever you end up doing to make that finish happen. And now you've hammered everything together and you've got that table. You can literally stand back from that and look at that and say, wow, I did that from start to finish. My, my, the, the, the efficacy of me as a human being shows itself from beginning to end. Whereas sometimes in jobs that, again, are in an office or whatever, you don't often get the full circle of, you know, beginning to end of the mission of the company. Okay, mm -hmm. why are we here and what are we doing? And that's why whenever we have somebody come into our office, we have whoever it is, go see every department and they have to experience every single department so they know what a full circle service company we are and, and and they know what from beginning to end looks like and what their part of that mission is so i think the stand back moment that proud moment where you can say wow look at that fence i just built that beautiful stone fence or um look at how look at how i, I improve that person's looks if it's a cosmetology thing or look at this beautiful wedding cake i made for the memories that they're going to last a lifetime or whatever it might be you get to experience that and some of these other jobs don't often have that so um, just another thing for the employers out there to make sure if that's the job you have, um, involve everybody in everything so that they can be part of the greater mission. All right. Well, thank you. Um, I'm looking at the time right now and I'm thinking we should go ahead and start wrapping up. Okay. But did you have any last advice that you would just like to give to our listeners based on what we've talked about today? Just if, if, if you're someone who is hiring somebody, okay, make sure that they feel like they're in control of their life. Because I can tell you this, the more people around you that you can gather that feel like they can get what they want with and through your company and therefore control the trajectory and the progression of their own lives, the more your company is gonna grow whether you want it to or not. I mean, you're gonna have to get out of the way and <laughs> let them go. And your, your company is gonna grow to levels that you never expected because a lot of times as bosses, we try to be like the answer man where we control everything and we know everything and we have all the answers and I'm going to lead you to the promised land. Forget all that. Let go of the ego. Let go of the control. Allow these folks to work with and for you and make things happen for themselves. And your company is going to be way further ahead than you could ever take it by yourself. All right. Well, thank you for that, Ken. And thank you everyone for tuning in this week for Everyday Business Solutions. We're going to leave you here, but don't forget to check out the blog post that has our audio and our video, as well as a brief synopsis of what you just heard. So thank you once again and have a great week. And thank you, Ken.